congregation, we continue our series about Joseph here. And the text for the sermon this morning is Genesis 45, the first eight verses. We'll read those verses again. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me there. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the fam famine has been in the land, and there is still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and ruler of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So far, the text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that includes and will include the guests worshiping with us this morning. What, an, what a, a wonderful reunion that must have been Joseph and his brothers. There had been growing tension between Joseph and his brothers. On the one hand, Joseph had recognized his brothers right away the first time they had come to Egypt. He didn't make himself known to them, but had one of them uh, put into prison, Simeon. He'd see if they would return for their brother by bringing Benjamin along. If they came back for Simeon, that would show there was some change in the attitude of the brothers. And eventually they did return to Egypt with Benjamin. The brothers, on the other hand, didn't recognize Joseph at all at first. Anyway, all those visits that they made to Egypt. However, they were continually reminded of him there in Egypt. And that, that, that attitude of the governor of Egypt worried them. Their consciences had begun to bother them. Already during the first visit, they had concluded, as it says in Genesis 42, verse 21, that they were guilty of their brother, for they had ignored his pleading when they sold him to Egypt. And during the second visit, they said to the governor, chapter 44, verse 16, they say to the governor themselves, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. So that the tension had risen on both sides till it comes to a head in our text. Joseph was harsh in the matter of Benjamin and the cup. 
The brothers were beside themselves about Benjamin and Father Jacob's reaction if Benjamin was going to be uh, kept in Egypt too and lost to Father Jacob. But then Joseph, when he realizes that everything has now come to a head and the time is right, he makes himself known to his brothers. He, heard, he had heard and he had seen how his brothers reacted to every new thing he threw at them, and he saw that they had changed considerably from when they had thrown him in the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites. In fact, at first they were all willing to go to prison for Benjamin, and later on Judah steps forward and he said, I'm surety for my brother. And Judah, remember, he was the one who suggested that Joseph be put to death in the first place. So Joseph saw change. And he decided, okay, this is enough. And he made himself known to his brothers. And congregation, this was not just a nice family reunion after many years, like you sometimes see on reality shows, you know. They search out somebody who has lost a, a brother or sister for so many years, and they find them and reunite them. No. It was a wonderful family reunion, we could say, or reunion between brothers, but, but Joseph's family, Jacob's family, was the church at that time. This, was in the, this all took place in the Old Testament church. This was the, the unity of the church in the Old Testament, and, and this was recorded for us as Church of the Lord Jesus Christ here today, too, in how we deal with one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And I preach to you the word of God and the text with this theme. Then Joseph makes himself known to his brothers, and we see three things. The brothers' fear, Joseph's love, and God's purpose in it all. First of all, the brothers' fear. What a shock that must have been for those brothers' congregation when Joseph made himself known to them. When the cup of the Egyptian governor was discovered in Benjamin's sack of grain, their world had fallen apart. This was the end, they figured. This is it. But now that they realized that the governor was really Joseph, their brother, that he had put that cup there, they were really at their wit's end. Dismay they were dismayed it says in the text, a bit of a tame word here for the original Hebrew. The Hebrew word here, used here, could mean they were petrified. They were terrified. You can understand why they would be that way, right? They had been prepared to accept that God had caught up with them for what they had done in the past with their brother, and they were now ready to submit to whatever God's hand would do to them now. They assumed the Egyptian ruler was God's instrument to punish them for their past sin with Joseph. But then that governor had sent all his people out of the room, and he began to weep loudly, loudly, so loudly it could be heard in the palace 
Pharaoh's house next door. And the brothers were taken aback. They stood aghast and perplexed. When that, and then that mighty governor of Egypt told them, step closer here. And through his tears he said, I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? And it's as if those brothers were then struck by lightning. We had some lightning around here last night. It was as if they were struck by it. They were prepared for the worst, for imprisonment or death. But they were not prepared for this revelation that this man was Joseph, their brother. They had obviously dragged their heels going to Egypt in the first place. Their old father Jacob had to push them to go there. They were obviously worried about coming across Joseph as a slave maybe in one of the streets of the capital city there in Cairo maybe. But to meet Joseph as the highest ruler of Egypt besides Pharaoh, they had never expected that in their wildest fears. Fears. Because that governor was Joseph and he spoke to them and he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, who you sold into Egypt. He said something that only Joseph could know and then it began to sink in that they wouldn't only have to deal with God's punishing hand here. No, they had fallen into the hands of their brother Joseph who now could do with them as, they, as he pleased. That brother who they had mistreated so harshly, so terribly. He could now take revenge on them any way he wanted. It was open season on the brothers for him. Torture, the worst kind of slavery, awful death. Now they were done for. So the brothers were terrified. And also, now the whole story was going to come out too for their father Jacob. And they would, he would realize how they how awfully they had deceived him. So everything was coming apart for them actually there. Much later on, 2 Samuel 24, David sinned by counting the people and the Lord God gave him three choices of punishment for counting the Israelites. Seven years of famine, defeat at the hands of the enemies, or three days of plague. And David chose the last because he said it is better to fall into the hands of the living God than to fall into the hands of men. And you realize here that God is more merciful than any man. If somebody is out for revenge, he often wants the punishment to be greater than the crime committed against him. That's actually why God gave the rule an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth in the Old Testament. That was a rule to ensure that just punishment would be given so that it wasn't two eyes for one or two teeth for one. Well, the brothers had every reason to expect terrible vengeance for what they had done to Joseph. And we understand it, right? We understand that. Because we're often inclined to get somebody back, make them pay more than what they did to us in the first place. But God is perfectly just and merciful in all he does, also when he punishes at first, the brothers saw that harsh Egyptian governor as an instrument of God's hand to punish them. He was an anonymous person whom God was using to punish them. But suddenly, that man wasn't so anonymous anymore. 
He was their brother whom they had sold. The brother who had every reason and opportunity now to pay them back manifold for what they had done to him. And that was their fear. No wonder they were terrified. So terrified they were unable to speak. This was a nightmare for them. They wanted to cry out, but no sound came. It wasn't a nightmare. This was reality. A bad conscience twists your feelings and your reactions. So the fear of the brothers was completely understandable, but they didn't have to be that terrified, actually, because we come to the second part of the sermon, Joseph's love. Congregation, our text shows that Joseph was not after vengeance. As Christians, we all know our Savior's instruction to love your enemies and bless those who curse you. That's what the Lord expects of us, congregation. That's what he expects of us. He showed that so clearly himself when his brothers in Israel arrested him and abused him and crucified him. He did not revile in return, and he could have called on his legions of angels to punish those who were crucifying him, but he did not. He loved his enemies, was patient with them, spoke with them harsh, harshly only to call them to repentance. Sadly, we so often forget Jesus' instruction, don't we? We think, it's, we think it all right for our Savior to treat his enemies like that, but it's too much for us to love someone who has hurt us in the past. We don't like letting go of our anger, and we have a hard time not striking back, let alone love that other person too. No, we figure it's okay for Jesus to do that, but it's impossible for us. We can't love after what's done to us. Do you recognize maybe some of, at least some of that kind of attitude in your heart, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? Isn't that how we often react when somebody hurts us, even though we know that our Savior expects of us love, to love our enemies, even our enemies? Joseph didn't have the New Testament. He didn't have Jesus' instruction because Jesus came centuries later. He didn't have the copy of the gospel so he could check out Jesus' words, you shall love your enemies and not take revenge on them. And yet, Joseph acted in a way that matched what Jesus said towards... He, he acted that way towards his brothers. The Spirit of Christ was already living there, in him there then because his brothers had treated him pretty badly to the extent that they wanted to kill him. They hated him to the extent they wanted to kill him. But they sold him for money instead. They had ruined years of his life when he was a slave and he suffered there in prison. Let's say 15 very important years for a young man. 50 important years of his life. But Joseph was not filled with bitterness in his heart about all that. He was not out for revenge to get even. He didn't have the desire to repay evil with evil. No, he loved his brothers who had hurt him so badly. He loved them. He sought them. That's why he was so harsh with them. He sought them out. And in that 
Joseph showed the image of his Savior, Jesus Christ. The Spirit of the Lord Jesus was at work in him. Think about it, brothers and sisters. Joseph had no Bible like we do today. And we should be ashamed of reacting to wrong things done to us by others the way we often do. We have the whole gospel here. The whole instruction of our Lord. But if we, you know, feelings of anger, hatred, desire, revenge come up in us so easily, but if we hold on to those feelings and cherish them, then we simply ignore the Lord Jesus, what he did for us while we were still his enemies. Then we ignore how he has commanded us to follow in his footsteps in this. He redeemed us for that. Again, it's much easier to fall into feelings of hatred and anger and vengeance than to show love and forgiveness. But that's a very dangerous attitude. Jesus Christ also warns us in the gospel that we put the forgiveness of our own sins in danger by holding on to our anger and not wanting to forgive someone else what they have done to us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you, he said. And trespasses, by the way, there are sins done against you personally. It's not easy to forgive sins in general. You know, that's, uh, it's easy to forgive. Let's say it's, it's a lot easier to forgive sins in general. Just to say, well, in general, forgive, that doesn't mean a lot. It's more important that you forgive specific sins which people commit against you personally. That's what God does. He doesn't just forgive our sins in general. We, we sometimes find refuge in generality. No, he forgives sins which we have committed against him specifically and personally. He wants us to do the same. He wants that from us too. And that's why he sent his son and his son sent his spirit so that, that that's something we can do. By God's grace and with the help of the spirit, Joseph did it. He saw how terrified his brothers were and he said to them, I'm Joseph who you sold into Egypt. Don't be upset with yourselves for selling me. Again, he mentions that they had sold him as proof that it was really him. You know, nobody else knew about that selling of the brother into slavery. The brothers had kept that secret with that lie, with the coat with many colors and the, and the blood on it. Only Joseph could know that, so he plainly stated what they had done, so they knew it was him. But stating that sin is also good, good for another reason. That's not to harass the guilty party, but to help him or her deal with what they did, to be able to leave it behind then. Joseph's brothers felt grieved, it says in the text. They felt guilty, awfully guilty. And, to, and for Joseph to state the sin was to help them to be able to leave that behind too. He understood, they understood. He mentioned their sins specifically so that they would know that he had forgiven them for what they had done to him specifically in those things. And notice, too, congregation, Joseph didn't humiliate his brothers in any way at all. He didn't rub it in and say, well, see, here my dream is coming true. You're all bowing before me. He, he did not humiliate them in any way at all. Even, he even 
worked to keep their dignity in spite of what they had done. He worked to keep their dignity by sending the Egyptians out of the room. He didn't want what the brothers had done to end up on the front pages of the newspapers in Cairo the next day. Nobody had any business with all that. How good to also protect our neighbor's honor and reputation when, when we forgive them. And notice that when Joseph mentions their sin, he doesn't demand a full admission of guilt and apology. He knew his brothers realized what they had done was sin. He had overheard them talking about it in Genesis 42, 21, we're truly guilty concerning our brother. He heard them, and Joseph noticed how the brother's attitude had changed. They showed signs of repentance. They were willing to offer themselves up for their brother Benjamin and to spare their father. He had no desire to make them come to him on their knees and beg for forgiveness. No. They knew what they had done. And they showed that. They owned it, and that was enough for him. Sadly, you know, sometimes people do demand an official statement of apology from those who have wronged them and a humble request for forgiveness, and it's got to be humble. Sadly, that shows a lack of love for the other person. Be nice if they did that, but once it's demanded, it shows lack of love. The person demanding apology only thinks of themselves, and, still the, the, and in that, they actually want to humiliate the other person by demanding, that, that re, uh, demanding a request for forgiveness. Joseph doesn't demand an apology here. He doesn't. He isn't after repayment for what was done for him. No. He loves his brothers. He loves them. And when he saw their terror, he didn't come with reproach or reproof. He comforted them. Don't be grieved or upset with yourselves that you sold me here, he says. See, people who are truly repentant need to be comforted too. They have to be encouraged with the gospel of grace and forgiveness. They have to be upheld in their dignity. You don't need to be overwhelmed and paralyzed by your sorrow because of your sins. No, with God there is forgiveness. You can make a new beginning and you can go on. Blessed is the man whose trespass are forgiven. It says, Psalm 32. Brothers and sisters, what took place in the text reminds us of the parable of the prodigal son, actually. When the young man realized how wrong he'd been in, way back in that other country, and that when he was coveting the pods that the pigs ate, when he realized how wrong he'd been, he decided to go back to his father and offer himself as a servant to him. And his father never even gave him the opportunity to do that. You can read that in Luke 15. He didn't give him the opportunity. It was enough for the father that his son had changed, that he had come back from the dead, so to speak. He saw him shuffling toward home. And then he didn't humiliate his son in any way by chastising him for blowing the inheritance on useless stuff. See, I told you so. No. The father was filled with compassion and love for his son. He ran out to meet him on the road and he embraced him. That's how the Lord is toward us sinners. 
every time again. He is this way toward us. He doesn't make us crawl in the dust before him, but in Christ welcomes us with open arms. And that's what Joseph did too. He didn't discuss forgiveness at length. He had tested them. They had shown change. He's simply just too happy and delighted to have his brothers back again, to be united with them. He didn't say them. He didn't say to them, I forgive you for what you did to me. Then he would have drawn the attention to himself, to his own hurt feelings. He would have drawn the attention away from God to himself. And then the brothers would have to thank him. Oh, thank you for forgiving us. But all thanks belong to God here. And at first you can imagine the brothers had a hard time to absorb all this. So Joseph's repetition of who he is and how they had sold him to Egypt, nobody else could have, could have told Joseph about that, so that showed that he was who he was. And he spoke to them in their own language, in the Hebrew tongue, and, and then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and he kissed him and he kissed all his brothers like the father in the parable of the prodigal son. Kissed them. Kiss among brothers. And only then do the brothers dare to talk with Joseph. Joseph's whole way of dealing with them showed that he loved them, had forgiven them in the Lord. Even the harsh things they realized were part of all of coming to this. Love drives out fear. It says in 1 John, Love overcomes resistance and suspicion, and it restores brothers to unity in the church. Love, and only love, can do that. Only God, who is love, can do that. And not only in Joseph's day, also today. In the church today, because our text isn't just about a nice family reunion, about, but it's about love and unity in the church of Jesus Christ among brothers. And then we come to the last part of the sermon this morning, God's purpose. Congregation, how could Joseph, after all the terrible things his brothers had done, still love them as he did? We often think that bad experiences and suffering are gonna have a negative impact on people. That's not necessarily true, completely true. They, people don't necessarily become hard because of those things. The opposite can be the case. You can, in fact, grow positively through these things, through being wronged and forgiving. It all depends if you look to God in what you deal with and seek your help from Him. It all depends on whether you ask God for wisdom or whether you let yourself be led by God or by your feelings and emotions? What is the engine that drives you? Your feelings or emotions or your love for the Lord and your desire to serve Him? If you hold fast to God, if He is what drives you, then the things you go through will eventually end up where they belong, in the right place. You look back and you realize that God was working through all the things, also the wrongs did to you, the things you suffered. He worked through it all for His purpose and for your good. 
Joseph realized that when he saw his brothers again in Egypt. And so he says to them, verse 5, don't beat up yourselves about it, about what you did to me, because God sent me before you to preserve your lives and the lives of your children. Verses 7 and 8, he says, God sent me before you to pre preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. If you seek God's hand, congregation, in everything you can forgive too. You can forgive. And that's the key to the history of Joseph and his brothers too. Everything that had happened took place according to God's plan and purpose. At, no, at first, nobody understood what was going on, where this was all going. Joseph didn't either, but Joseph had believed in God before, and now he saw it so clearly. A veil was lifted, and he realized God had been working in everything that had been happening to him all along. And seeing God's hand in it all also made it possible for him to love his brothers in spite of it, what they had done. Congregation, today we see much more than Joseph could see then. He, could, he was unable to see beyond that rescue operation of God to the deliverance of Israel from Egypt and eventually the coming of the Savior of the world out of Israel. Joseph still saw that deliverance as something for his family and for Egypt. But we see now that God's purpose was much more grand and wonderful. He was preparing the way for God's Son to come into this world to bring a deliverance which was much greater than deliverance from famine, the deliverance from our sins and misery. But in spite of his limited vision, just a limited vision, Joseph realized what had been done to him was all part of a bigger plan of God. And knowing that, Joseph trusted that God was working, in, working everything out in order to fulfill his promises to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. And that gave him rest and peace and the ability to forgive and to love in spite of. Congregation, that, that God was active in all this doesn't mean that it was actually God who threw Joseph in the pit and sold him into Egypt? Does it mean that God was responsible for the sins of Joseph's brothers? You'd almost think so from Joseph's words in verse 8. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. But that's not what Joseph was really saying either. God, God is not the author of sin. And Joseph affirmed earlier on that it was the brothers who sold them to Egypt. They were fully responsible for that. You sold me here. And then Joseph expresses that later on in Genesis 50. We read that too. But as for you, he says to the brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. What the brothers did was evil, sinful, and they were responsible for their sins. But overall, God used their sin for good purpose, for his glorious purpose. And that's amazing, actually. 
Sin is of, its, of itself destructive. Sin wrecks things. That's the nature of sin. But we see here that God turns, God is so almighty and gracious, he turns the negative effects of sin into positive effects for his purpose and for his people. So yes, sin, sin remains sin. What happened in Doth, at Dothan was evil. But God can use a crooked stick to give a straight blow, as the saying goes. He used the evil that the brothers did. And we're responsible too for themselves for, for, for themselves. He did that, he used that evil they did to Joseph for good purpose. The brothers wanted to get rid of Joseph. God used their evil deeds to save Jacob's whole family, the church. God can save the church even through the sins of its members. What an awesome God we have, congregation. What an awesome God. Almighty, almighty, wise, just, faithful, constantly in everything, everything, everything working here on earth for the preservation and deliverance of his people. Today, too, and to achieve that purpose, then he also turns evil to good, uses it for his purposes. Article 13 of the Belgic Confession, we believe, it says there, we believe that this good God, after he had created all things, did not give them up to fortune or chance, but according to his holy will, he so rules and governs them that in this world without his direction, nothing happens. Yet God is not the author of the sins which are committed, nor can he be charged with him with those sins, for his power and goodness are so great and beyond understanding that he ordains and executes his work in the most excellent and just manner, even when devils and wicked men act unjustly. Congregation, glorious, wonderful. God lets all things work for the good of those who love him. Even sins, sins done against them, sins done by them, they are responsible. We have to fight sin, but we can also leave it all in God's hands. He uses it all. He promises that. He's proven it. And so we can trust that, and we can love in spite of hatred shown us. Doesn't that give you peace and let you love? Amen.